Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by very special guest Edward Nevermont, who is the genius behind the Marketing BS newsletter. <laughs> Edward, welcome to the show. Great to be here. So for folks who haven't met you before, could you just give a, you know, a brief background? There's so many things on your bio page. I don't, I don't even know where to start. I see camel riding. I see stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've lived a, I lived a, a little bit of an eccentric life. Um, definitely not the, the standard path. Although I interview uh, CMOs for my, my regular podcast and it's becoming more and more clear that there is no standard path to getting to uh, a top marketing role, at least in, in our society. Uh, uh, I guess the quick version is I, I grew up in Canada. Uh, I ended up going to business school down in the U.S. and then went back to Canada, spent a bunch of years as a consultant traveling the world where uh, I spent a year working in Africa. That's where I competed in the uh, the Marlal Camel Race, Interna <laughs> Marlal International Camel Race. Um, there, was, there was no entry requirement other than paying the entry fee and renting a camel. And I rented a camel from a random person and, uh, and raced him. Uh, I, I ended up coming in like ninth, I think in the race. It was uh, a <laughs> down to the finish line when my, my camel stopped about 50 meters from the finish line and wouldn't go any further. And I couldn't get him to move. Maybe they ended up racing past me. Uh, <laughs> I, um, uh, I ended up working at Expedia for a few years and then jumping to a bunch of private equity backed venture backed companies. I was CMO at a place for mom, a CMO at general assembly, had a few exits under my belt. And, and now, now I kind of give back. Uh, so I, I'm advisor to a few companies. I help out uh, the portfolio companies at Warburg Pincus. Um, it's funny to say give back because I'm not, uh, it's not like I'm helping poor children in Africa. I'm helping successful companies become more, more successful. Uh, but uh, I kind of like have found a, a niche of where I think I can be helpful and I can add value to the world. And that's kind of where I'm doing it. Perfect. Great. And I, I originally came across you, um, someone recommended your book, marketing BS. And I ended up on the mailing list, which is one of the few mailing, mailing lists I look forward to getting and read. And, uh, and there's just tons of great stuff in here. And, and one of the things that I really like and drew me to you in the first place, uh, you know, was, was the, the BS thing, like marketing doesn't have to be hard, you're kind of overcomplicating it. Um, you know, if you're doing something that everyone's doing, it's probably not going to work, <laughs> you know, like be different. Uh, but the, the thing that uh, I reached out to you about was this sort of cookie apocalypse of um, first party cookies or third party cookies going away and being limited to first party cookies and how that's going to affect programmatic advertising. So the audience, most of the audience here is technical and understands probably, you know, better than anybody exactly what that means from a technical standpoint. But what does that mean for businesses uh, in terms of, you know, in terms of advertising? So if you're a small firm and you're uh, placing ads, I, you know, you tell me, like, what is that, what is that going to mean for them? Yeah. From the technical side, I'm sure your audience knows it better than I do. I, I I'm, uh, I'm an amateur when it comes to that, but from a business side, I can tell you a little bit more about like, what we're trying to get at when we talk about cookies. Like so much of it is, is um, well, I would say there's probably three parts to, to the value of programmatic advertising. Um, and part one is the tracking and knowing that, Hey, if someone clicked on this thing, then they come, they, they, and then they later make a purchase. You can tie the click to the purchase to the same individual. There's that famous saying in advertising uh, that dates back to the like 1970s, I think, where um, the, the quote was, uh, I know half my advertising and dollars are wasted. I just don't know which half. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
but programmatic advertising and digital advertising in general has changed a lot of that because now we know when someone sees one of our ads, or at least we know when a computer sees one of our ads, and then we know if the purchase is made on that computer. Mm -hmm. And you can tie those two things together through both either sophisticated or very unsophisticated tracking methodologies to do attribution. And that attribution is really important. Even if you don't use the sophisticated fancy attributions, just having a rough idea of, hey, when these ads are seen on this platform, we end up with a bunch of purchases afterwards. When these ads are seen on this other platform, we don't have purchases afterwards. It's a pretty good signal that first platform is probably a better platform. Not always, not every time, mm-hmm. but um, without that data, without that information, it gets really, really hard to, to, to know anything. And, and all of a sudden now you're back in the world of hand-waving uh, uh, Don Draper style people telling yeah. stories about about the ads rather than actually having any sort of quantitative data to back it up. Mm. So, and so that part of programmatic advertising, I think is really, really important. Um, the second part of programmatic advertising is just the ease of purchase. So if you want to go and buy an ad on Facebook, you can take your $10 and go and do it within about 10 minutes and you can have your first ad running. Um, it's super, super easy. The, the sales are happening on a, uh, an auction basis. So you're not, you're unlikely to get screwed. You, you, you still like need to create a high quality ad and you can AB test your copy and figure out your target. Audience. There's, there's, there's lots of sophistication in, in running those ads. Uh, mm. But at least if for the same ad, for the same copy, for the same targeting, your price is what it is based on the auction. Whereas if you go and try to buy an ad on television, that's very, very difficult. You need, you need an expert to go with you because otherwise you're going to get screwed. The same thing with a magazine because the, the, people, the me- people selling the media are going to sell at vastly different rates depending on who's buying and what type of negotiation they're doing. And so programmatic advertising has solved all of that by making it more fair, I would say. The, th- the third part of programmatic advertising is the targeting. And the targeting is where all the excitement comes in and where all the media attention is. It's the Cambridge Analytica has like, caused the Brexit to happen and Donald Trump to win by spending $40,000 on Facebook ads. Uh, and and it's, it's just so overstated on how valuable targeting actually is. And that's not to say targeting isn't valuable. It's just, it's overrated. Um, and so uh, what, what works in targeting? So y- you, you want to have some sort of targeting. You want to have, if, if you're selling um, makeup, you probably want to be targeting women and not men. Probably. Right? Probably. Uh, and, and again, there'll be some men who buy makeup and so on. But, but in general, you're going to have a higher conversion rate when you target a woman than if you target a man. Um, the same thing if you target like men's shaving equipment, right? Like you probably want to target men and not women. Um, if you're targeting selling diapers, you probably want to target uh, people who have children, baby, like small children or about to have small children. Um, and so there's some demographic targeting that absolutely is essential for people who shop in your category. Maybe not for your product. Product targeting is overrated, but category targeting is obviously, it's, it's obviously clear it's true. What do you mean um, by product targeting? Uh, and so the idea that, oh, uh, Pampers is going to target a higher socioeconomic group than Huggies, for example, in, in diapers. Um, and when you start looking at that, it's just not very true. It, it's slightly true. Like the average income of a, someone with an iPhone is higher than the average income of someone with, a, with an Android phone. Uh, but that's not where you're going to get your value on targeting if you're Apple or Google or sorry or Samsung targeting your at your 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 phones, mm-hmm. you're much better to be targeting based on people who are going to be using phones rather than trying to do income segregation or oh you know what iPhone like uh, is like sixty percent male versus forty percent males female so we're going to target more men than women like, like that type of, of targeting is often um, 
uh, you end up paying a, a high premium to do that type of targeting and the additional impact you get from it tends to be very small. Gotcha. So it's like overthinking it and bang for buck or diminishing returns is just. That's right. And I feel like, so, so many marketers spend their time trying to figure out who their ideal consumer is. And they spend mm -hmm. time thinking about um, like personas, like, oh, I, I remember I worked at a, uh, for a, a gas station once uh, in Australia and they had these giant personas all through the building. And like persona one was like this rough guy who like likes driving his truck. And persona two was like a woman with two children in the back seat of her car. And persona three, like, no, you know who buys gas? Anyone who drives a car drives gas, buys gas. <laughs> There's, there, are, there are not special personas. It's almost like 90% of your population is buying gas and that's who your customer is. And your target audience should be 90% of the population, not these like fancy personas that the marketing team is going and building. Yeah, just um, keep it simple. Uh, keep, keep it simple. Figure out who shops your category and those are the people you're going to target. So again, another example is skis. So if, if, uh, if you're going to sell skis, you probably want to target the people who enjoy skiing. Uh, and again, uh, maybe there's some people who don't enjoy skiing. You can try to broaden the category. But if you focus your time on targeting skiers, that's probably where your best bet is. Mm -hmm. Don't go and try to segment the skiing market into like a dozen other segments, sub-segments, sub and say, oh, we over-index in segments three, four, and five, and we're going to target them and not the other types of skiers. That, that, that's the part that you end up wasting your time and your money. Mm. Um, but because marketers spend their time trying to learn their customer, they feel they should be doing that. It feels like something they should be doing they, and then they need to try to do. And if they're not doing their jobs, unless they do it, and they want to be able to talk about that because that's so much more sexy than trying to negotiate like 10 basis points reduction in your media costs when you go and buy from the, 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 the ski magazine. Where's where, where your real impact is going to come from? Um, or or make it, streamlining your, your purchase process so that the customers aren't dropping out because you're adding too much friction. Like th th that's the stuff where marketers can make a real difference, but it's just not as sexy as like understanding that our, our target audience wears pink when they go down the ski hill. Um, <laughs> right. And then on the other side is you have vendors. And so there are tons, like, there, there I've lost track of how many ad tech vendors there are that'll help you do programmatic advertising. Mm -hmm. And they want to sell the sexy stuff to the customer. Um, if they can come in, if it's all just dollars and cents about, hey, we can help you run your auctions better, um, the ad tech companies become commodities. And they don't want to be commodities. They want to be seen as a premium partner who can help you do better stuff. And so doing better stuff, it's not necessarily better. It's doing this fancy stuff. Yeah, and they can tell go. a story around it and marketers are ready to buy it because they want to. Hmm. Um, and I think the the article, uh, the newsletter that I wrote, the essay that I wrote, I think you're referencing, um, uh, there's been some studies done recently that looks at, like, hey, when you look at broad-based programmatic advertising um, and, and you say, hey, I want to go and target uh, women of this demographic, of this age group, for example, um, when they went and audited it, so, so when you say you're going to target women of that demographic, it doesn't mean you're going to target women of that demographic. It just means that's who you're going to try to target. And so you have to go look at like, how do they actually figure that out? And so sometimes they kind of know. Uh, Facebook knows really, really well because people tell them what their gender is and what their, their sex is and their age and their birthday and all those things. And so you can target or, and what city they live in. And sometimes people lie, but in general, you can target that stuff really, really well through Facebook because people are telling you. But a lot of programmatic advertising is not set up that way. Instead, what they do is they look at your browsing history. You're targeting a computer, not an individual. And so when you look at that computer, the algorithm tries to guess what their gender is or their dem age demographic or whatever else or their interests based on the behavior that computer has had. And so it looks and says, oh, this person has visited these types of websites. 
therefore we think it's a woman. Or they visited those types of websites, so we think it's someone between the ages of 24 and 30. And so you're targeting these computers based on browsing history, not necessarily on what their actual demographics are, mm. but the layer on top of it that, you, that it says you're targeting is like, oh, you don't select someone because like, the algorithm is black box. You don't select, hey, visited these X number of websites these percentage of times. Instead, you click the box that says woman and you think that you're targeting women. But when you audit it, you find out that the targeting methodology is just terrible. Mm. Um, and so in this particular example, uh, they went and found that uh, the gender effectiveness targeting was only 40% effective, 42% effective or some number like that, which means that it's, you, if you Worse didn't target at all, you're, it, in fact, if you went and targeted the opposite gender, you'd have more success. Like you, <laughs> you, your target rate would be higher. Um, and I don't think it's actually that bad because if it was that bad, that's what you would do. You just like target the opposite gender and call it a success. Um, I just think it's that that particular set of data they pulled just showed that it was ineffective and it just didn't work. Um, and so, Oh, and then for that, for the, for the, because you get the ability to go and target these women at like 40% effectiveness, you end up paying a two X what you would normally pay it is to do a broad based targeting. Yeah. Um, I think that's, and it could even point. be worse than that because when you do the broad based targeting, not only is your base rate lower because you're not paying all the middleman ad vendor, ad tech vendor fees, but you're also, uh, now, now you've have bigger spend and you're buying a commodity and you can go and negotiate harder. And so all that stuff around, uh, that I talked about is the downside of going and buying from television because you need this expertise. Um, when you consolidate your spend in one place, you can often negotiate lower prices. Hmm. Okay, so for folks, you know, for folks who aren't selling Pampers and you know, uh, folks listening or running a service business, what is? I mean, maybe and maybe you'll say pro- programmatic advertising is like not even a good fit for that kind of a thing. But if if, I mean, is programmatic advertising a good fit for someone who's running like a service business, like, you know, somebody that builds websites or someone like you who's a speaker, coach, you know, do you run programmatic ads or that are there much better ways to spend your time and money? Uh, so I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm considering and looking into it. I'm, I've just started mon- like, so far today and I haven't really monetized it all. So it's hard to rationalize spending money to promote something where I don't make money on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, but my newsletter has moved to premium. So, uh, there's, there's a model there and, um, uh, when I have time and energy to go and do that, maybe I will. Uh, uh, but um, so in general, where you want to start is um, probably three places. So one is if someone is looking for your product, if they're going, if, if it's a product that meets a need, that's, that's an acute need for people like, Hey, you, you're, you're, you have a, you have Tylenol and people have headaches and they go and they look for like headache solution. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when that happens, you probably want to be on search if your product monetizes well enough, if someone's like, Hey, I need, I need to build a website. Um, well, you can advertise on paid search around like people searching for how to build a website um, and try to suck up that traffic. Now you may not monetize well enough versus the competition there, but you should at least consider it and figure out, okay, what niche do I have that people search for that I meet the need for? And can I go and just target it on, on paid search? Mm-hmm. Um, if your product is more of a, something people don't know they need until they, until it's shown to them, mm-hmm. uh, then you probably want like, your vitamin. No, nobody's like acute, acutely needs a vitamin. Except maybe in these COVID days, people acutely need a vitamin D, but other, yeah. otherwise no one really goes out and searches for it. Um, you have to go and tell them, like, hey, this is a thing that you might want. This is good for you. Uh, and their paid social works really well. And so like, if you're selling, hey, how to teach chess to your four-year-old, um, Nobody's going on Google or very few people are searching for like how to test your four-year-old. But if you can target people with four-year-olds on Facebook, you can absolutely show them like, hey, here's a thing that teaches how to teach chess to your four-year-old. Um, and, and, 
and Facebook discovery or, or programmatically through Facebook is, is a fairly good solution for that. Um, uh, and then the third thing, third advertising model is, is unique channels that are unique to you. The problem with both Google and Facebook is that everybody else is advertising on Google and Facebook too. And that auction that we talked about that is like makes everything fair, makes it fair for Google and Facebook as well. And it drives the price up to the, to the, to the, the, the clearance price. And mm-hmm. if you don't monetize better than whatever the clearance pr- price is, then you're, you're, you're out of luck. And if you monetize just a little bit better than that clearance price, then you only make a little bit of money. Uh, and so in, in the perfect world, you want to find channels where you aren't competing with everybody else. And so there's no cookie cutter answer for that because if there was, then that cookie cutter answer would be the other Google and Facebook. And so you have to look at your particular business and what l- channels you can find that other people aren't playing in that you can compete in. Um, so when I was at example. a place for mom, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, when I was at a place for mom, uh, we we definitely had tons of advertising on Facebook and Google, but our most powerful channel was uh, hospital discharge planners, and we had an entire organization set up that would go and work with CEOs of hospitals, talk to them about our value prop and how we can help reduce their wait times, so reduce their length of stays, reduce their readmission rates, decrease the amount of work for their their staff, and increase customer satisfaction. And the CEOs would say, "Hey, that's great," and then. They would give the thumbs up. Then we'd send another team in to work with the discharge planners at that hospital to go and build the tools and processes so that when someone checked out of the hospital, they get referred to us so we could help them find senior housing. Mm. So we weren't competing with anybody. We didn't pay. It still was a huge organization in our park because we needed to have, have enter, basically enterprise sales people selling to CEOs and, and um, uh, on the ground people like doing operations and sales and, and so on, working with the, um, with the discharge planners. But there was no direct cost and there was no competition. And it was a matter of like, if we could make this work and run it efficiently, then we could make the, the channel work. And mm. we were just competing against ourselves and running it well. Um, I have a buddy of mine who sells um, beef over the internet uh, directly from farmers. And so part of his business, he actually, Amazon is programmatic is a good channel for him uh, and Facebook and paid search. But, it's, uh, but he also has, uh, it goes to farmer's markets. He's scaling farmer's markets all across the country where he goes and sends people in to go and sit in booths and farmer's markets. Now COVID's kind of like knocked that for a loop. Um, but again, in the farmer's markets, he's not, he's not competing at auction against everybody else. Right. Uh, and so if you can find those types of channels, it's great. Um, but if you talk about like, pure programmatic, I, I would start on Facebook because mm-hmm. Facebook has first party cookies. They have information about who the person actually is for your demographics. But most importantly, Facebook has uh, uh, purchase data. And so, with that purchase data, Facebook can build lookalike audiences versus your existing customers that are very, very good. Like five years ago, if you wanted to advertise on Facebook, you wanted to be advertising based, creating different interest categories and trying to uh, create sub-segments and then test and learn to find out which sub-segments were important and which interest categories worked. You don't need to do any of that anymore. Now you just plug in a list of your best customers. Say you want to target a 1% uh, similar lookalike or 99% similar lookalike audience within 1% of your existing customers. Mm-hmm. And because Facebook has a bunch of purchase data from across the internet now, their targeting is just really, really good at being able to find people who are um, people who are very similar to people who are in their purchase behavior to the people who are purchasing your stuff. Right. Um, and, and that's the, rather than demographics or interests, like purchase similarity is the one driver that actually helps you predict a future purchase. Yeah, I was going to ask about lookalike audiences. So for so for folks that are sort of novice or maybe never placed an ad on Facebook before, um, can you unpack a little bit what that what's a lookalike audience? It's I one mean, of the options when you're building a your Facebook ad. Yeah, so right. so basically, you feed in 
uh, some list of customers. So you can mm-hmm. create different types of lookalike audience. The most obvious one is uh, plug in your 1,000 best customers that you have in terms of like lifetime value and how long they stuck around for you. And like, if you want, if you're like, if I can get another customer like that, I'll be very, very, very happy. Mm. You plug that into Facebook and you say, Hey, Facebook, find me more people like that. And that's what Mm -hmm. your lookalike audience is. But when you say plug it in, you mean email addresses? Yeah. Yeah. Email addresses. So you give Mm -hmm. Facebook the email addresses. They go and find those people on their site because most people are on those site at the site already. And then it takes those people and their algorithm says, Hey, what is their purchase? history look like and, and, and other things too, but purchase history is the most valuable thing, mm-hmm. uh, but also their demographics where they live, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, hey, I want to go and target people who look like those people. Um, and uh, you're not going to find a better method of doing that. Well, that's not true. Amazon actually has a similar model now that Amazon's doing lookalike audiences as well. Really? And also very, very, very effective targeting because obviously Amazon has quite a bit of purchase history for most email addresses as well. Right. Uh, but for a service business, with, Amazon make no sense, right? But, but Facebook. Well, yes and no. Yes. So, so you don't have to advertise on Amazon. You can use Amazon's advertising platform. So you use Amazon's lookalike audiences, and Amazon owns a ton. Like they own Twitch and they own oh, uh, right. IMDb and they own like a ton of properties. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can still advert even with a service business. You can still advertise on Amazon. Like my, my my buddy's uh, cow business or, or, or cow delivery business. Um, <laughs> That's meat, steak. <laughs> Humans call it steak. I think, uh, they, uh, not not cow delivery. Uh, uh, his, his his steak delivery business. Uh, um, he doesn't sell on Amazon, but he uses Amazon's ad platform to drive customers to his website, gotcha. and it works. And it's one of his best channels. Uh, and so that's definitely a channel you can use. The challenge with Amazon platform right now is that the minimum spend is quite high and mm-hmm. so if you're going to do sm- small tests like start with facebook mm-hmm. the other problem with Am- amazon is that uh, the uh that their ad unit is not very good and so fa- facebook's ad unit in the news feed is very very good it's it's it's, it's kind of sitting in together with all your content so people see the ad they're scanning through looking at their updates and then an ad flips in and that ad unit is just like has been optimized to death um, the old days, Facebook had their ads off on the side and so on, and that's just like, it just didn't work or it's work as well. Amazon's still in the early days. Their ad units, unless you're selling on Amazon, their ad right. units are not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so targeting very good ad units, less good. And so uh, it may or may not work for any particular business. Interesting. Yeah, I never would have thought of Amazon. That's interesting. But yeah, I think, I mean, I've, I've uh, played around with Facebook ads for my own business and advertised, you know, like uh, books and things. And it, it, it seemed to work. It was, it, I certainly was able to get uh, break even and better than break even, but it is like, a, um, it's something you have to pay attention to. It, it's not like, a, it, in my experience, it wasn't really a set it and forget it kind of thing. It was something you needed to spend some time on on a rel- regular basis. How, how much time do you think people should be putting into uh, this sort of thing? You know, they're, they're running a business. They might be the chief cook and bottle washer is this the most effective use of time? How much time should they spend on something like this? Um, is it something you can get results or at least data in a week? Or do you need to devote, you know, three months of, you know, an hour a day of tweaking your Facebook ad campaigns? Oh, probably the latter. It's, 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 uh, so you can start it, you can try it. Um, the chances are whatever ad copy you come up with, whatever offer you come up with, whatever image you come up with is not going to be very good. Uh, and so just even if you're an expert at it, your, your first iteration is probably not going to be the, the, the right answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
now what you can do is you can find out what your baseline is. And so go and do your best. Don't spend too much time thinking about it, but come up with a simple ad copy, simple image. Um, do your, your lookalike audiences are done for you. Take mm-hmm. your best customer, stick it in, do the lookalike audiences, have them land on some sort of way that you can collect their information. So what you don't want to do is just run your ad and have them land on your homepage. Yeah. You want to build some sort of page that basically has some sort of offer for them that collects an email address. And then once they're on their once they're on your email list, then you can hit them with your regular, regularly scheduled content emails on a regular basis, and hopefully over time they'll convert. But you mm-hmm. want to get them to do that. So you need some sort of like hook that gets them from like clicking on the ad to giving you the, their email address. If you yeah. can't do that, then you're 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 probably not in the right channel. But if you mm-hmm. can do that, um, then go and set it up and run the ad and see what happens. Um, estimate what you think a value of an email address is to you. And, and it'll be a good email address because it, you're because of the look like audiences. Your targeting is going to be pretty good, uh, and then see what your what your estimated ROI is. And if it, your estimated ROI is significantly better than one, like if you're getting a return on it, mm-hmm. then you should let it run and maybe spend some time iterating on it. But if you do that first attempt and you're like you're spending a dollar to make what you think is going to be ten cents, then the amount of effort it's going to take you to get that ten cents to be worth more than a dollar is probably not worth your time. Okay, that's a good point. Um, now, yeah, now maybe you can find close. someone else to do it for you and, and who's better at it than you are, but like you keep doing it unless you decide you want to just stop doing what you're doing before and become like a Facebook advertising expert. Like you're not going to take a 10 cent, a 10% return to 110, 110% return um, without a lot of work. Uh, and so uh, if you want to put a lot of work in, great. But if not, then like don't, don't waste your time. But if, you are, if, you, if you, your first attempt gets you a 110%, like you're, you're making it, spending a dollar to make a dollar 10 without having put too much effort in. Well, then, yeah, that's maybe, yeah, maybe it's worth putting a little bit more effort in to see if you can get that up higher or more importantly, just scale it. Like, um, if you can, um, yeah, if you can scale it up, scaling things tends to be easier. Your point on Facebook is that, uh, unlike paid search, paid search, when you get that going, you can set and forget it and just let it run. It's not going to change very much from month to month. Mm-hmm. On paid social, that's not true. It's, it, it, you you, uh, you get diminishing returns much faster because your target audience is so targeted that you show them the ads and the, the, all of a sudden you start showing the same person ads multiple times. And the second time someone sees an ad is not as effective as the first time. Yeah. And it just keeps going down and down. But by the time you're showing an ad, someone an ad like 30 or 40 times, like if they didn't click on it the first 29 times, the chance of the 30th <laughs> time seeing the exact same ad cop, and they're, like, they're just like, they're, they're ignoring it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to keep shifting who you're So. You can shift your images, you shift your ad copy, shift your offer, um, and then also shift your target audience. So we talked about, hey, doing a lookalike on your very, very best customers. Um, so maybe you're doing a 1% lookalike on your best customers. And then after you kind of like degraded that a little bit, if you're, if you're getting, say you're getting a four to one return on that, well, maybe you do a lookalike on your top 2% of customers. And so now you've vastly grown your target audience. Yeah. Your ROI is going to drop almost for sure, yeah. but maybe it'll drop to a two to one return and that, that'll, that'll still be okay. Yep. Um, yeah. Or what you do is you say, hey, instead of doing a lookalike just on our best customers, why don't we take all of our customers? So any, these are just these aren't necessarily our best customers, but they're paying us money, and we'll do lookalikes on them. Mm-hmm. Or, or we say, oh, what, what about we take our prospect list and let's do lookalikes on our prospect list? And again, each time you do this, the return is going to drop, yeah. but it's going to be a new segment you can go after that hasn't been like inundated with your earlier ad copy. And so. But if you can find your very best customers and if your ROI on them is not very good, then it's not wasting your time on everything else. Mm-hmm. But if your ROI on your best customers is really good, then there's ways to expand it. Yeah, gotcha. That makes total sense. And, and it gives people a starting point. So if, if they've never toyed around with this, then it, that's a pretty straightforward starting point. Like 
get an email a list of emails for your best customers, create a lookalike audience on Facebook. And, you know, because re- I, I don't think um, the paid search is, is uh, I've had very few students who have had any success with that at all. And the ones who have reported success had like hyper were hyper targeted very very niche and they spend a teeny amount of money and they've been just running the same ad for years spending like a, not even a dollar a day like a dollar a week and getting enough return from it that it's like eh, that's okay but most people that i work with are they're pretty generalist in what they do whatever the service is like oh copywriters we build websites and the sort of generic search terms for that, it's just like a bloodbath of, of it's like the whole page is paid ads almost. And it's like big names and it doesn't, it seems like almost impossible for someone who's not really savvy to come up with something that's going to be competitive and, and also affordable, but maybe that's just, you know, maybe you're that, totally that's right. me, but you're, you're not, you're, okay. Hey, if, you, if you're a national company and you're spent and you're doing a national copywriter service, for example, you, you, you could be spending a million dollars or more a month on, fa- on paid search and you take that money and you optimize it. And so you know that uh, copyright services is a terrible conversion rate, but copyright help is, is really high conversion rate or what, whatever the variations are. And mm-hmm. so you know which ones are good, which ones aren't. You know, you have the ability to hire someone for $200,000 a year to go and optimize all that stuff and live and breathe it to make it, make it really, really great. Um, and so they have more information than you and they're putting more time and effort into it than you. Um, and then they build web pages that convert probably better than whatever you have. Cause right. they can, again, they have enough data that they can optimize those, those pages until they get something that works. Uh, uh, they, they are going to win. Yeah. Um, it seems like a game for really big companies. Place your mom. We had tons and tons of local competitors and, um, they couldn't compete on paid. They, they competed in other ways. Like they, they had niche businesses local, like maybe a, a local, um, senior housing referral business, um, had a link into the, to the local uh, rabbi community. And so when someone went to talk to the rabbi about senior living, the rabbis referred them to this, this, these, um, this local business and they helped them and they kind of had a monopoly on local rabbis. But when they tried to get into paid search, like they just couldn't compete against our, our scale and our sophistication. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's my experience too. Um, so you mentioned your email list, but you also mentioned that, you know, sending someone from a, a, a social media ad to some kind of an opt-in form for a mailing list. And that seems like, I mean, you know, I've read your book, but your, your email list is what keeps you top of mind for me. And it's, it looks like a ton of work. I mean, it's, it's incredibly well done. And I know that you're going to, um, a paid model, which I find fascinating because I also have a mailing list. I write every single day, uh, for the list and I'm sort of in Substack. I don't know if you're using Substack, but, but there's a, this seems like a trend where people are creating mailing lists to nurture, you know, whatever, whatever the reason is, but a lot of people would use it to nurture leads, you know, like one of these ads come, you know, somebody clicks on it, they put in their email address, they get your download or whatever it is, then they're on your mailing list. Is that, do you see, what level of importance do you see a mailing list for service-based businesses uh, in terms of, you know, for, for marketing benefit? High. It's extremely high. So I think that's it's the one place where I think most companies don't invest enough. Um, if you're a B2B business, yep. uh, you want to be a, an authority. And the best way to be in a, to express your authority is to create content around 
whatever niche you're the authority in. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you're doing that, you want to leverage that content as much as possible. Uh, and so the easiest way is, hey, uh, create content that's valuable to the type of person who's going to buy your product. Mm-hmm. And once you get... so. The first is you need the hook to get them to subscribe, and that's not never easy, but it's it's possible, right? So if you're, I don't know, if you're a compensation expert, you create like some guide to compensation. Um, the, the, the 2020 trends in like trucker compensation, and so people yeah. are interested in trucker compensation. Well, like download your paper because it provides helpfulness. Mm-hmm. And then once you have them on your list, you wow them with your expertise in an entertaining and uh, interesting way, uh, an informative way, and you probably want to do it at least once a week with like good content that every Friday now the person is excited to open their email and read this email from you because they know that it's going to be improve their, their life in some way, shape or form, whether they're making them laugh or whether the, whether it's, it's making them like feel smarter about themselves or raising their status or providing a way to make more money. Right. You want to do something for them. Um, and you do that every week and they begin to develop effectively a relationship with your brand or with your company because they see you as an ex a trusted expert. Um, and once every, like 25% of your communication can include like um, a uh, a pitch on like, hey, here's, by, oh, by the way, I've been helping you out along the way. Here's what, here's what I sell. Right. Um, and uh, not everybody's going to like jump at your, your sales pitch, but as long as you don't do it too frequently, they'll stay on your other list and your authority builds up. And um, when it's, t- when they're ready to buy, you don't have to sell them because they're already sold in that you're like, that you have, they, they trust you and, and trying to, trying to make a, a, a B2B purchase or a significant purchase, like trust is the really hard part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your content helps you build that trust over, over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also helps you with the, with the attribution because now when you go and acquire, um, if someone's trying to sell me copywriting services, the chances of the, I, of my needing copywriting services at the exact time they interrupted me from reading through my Facebook feed is really, yeah. really small. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if I'm the type of person who might be interested in copywriting services, I might be interested in like the the, the free ebook that you're giving me on like how to write better or what or or, or how to select a vendor better or whatever whatever that thing is. Right. I could subscribe to that, get on the, your email list, and now you're sending me great content once a week. And three months from now, when I decide that I need a copywriter, I'm like, well, you know what, like. Dave has been sending me this amazing stuff. He's a copywriter. He writes good stuff. Like maybe I should just start, but rather than going through the painful search process, I just reach out to Dave. Um, And now Dave has, if he has a good attribution system knows that, Hey, I, I picked up Ed from this Facebook ad around this white paper three months ago. Uh, Here, how much did it cost me to download, to get that, to get Ed or per person like ad per email address. And then how much money do I make off ad three months later when he becomes like a, a provider to me and does the ROI calculation to figure out I should, whether I should accelerate my Facebook ads, trying to get more people to download that same white paper. Right. Right. So that's, that's uh, a technique or an approach that I've heard many times. Um, even Seth Godin, who's very anti-interruption marketing is like, if you're going to advertise, advertise, something like a lead magnet or whatever you want to call it, like some kind of offer. It's not like, I think a novice move is to advertise for like immediately jump to the sale, like say like, Oh, buy my, my copywriting course now, you know, and it's, or just hire me now for copywriting. And like you said, not everybody needs copywriting or, or a new website right now. But if you can, if you can capture their attention, and give them something valuable immediately, 
that makes them feel smarter or inspired or entertained, then they're going to be, then they'll stay on your list. And when that need does eventually arise, or they have a friend who needs a copywriter or web developer, they're like, Oh, you know who you should call, you know, like, uh, it's, um, it's like you said, you're just building up trust over time and you're staying kind of on their radar without bugging them. You know, you're, you're adding value every time they, every time they read the email, they're glad they did. They got some kind of positive ROI out of the, out of the exchange. And so it's going to build up trust over time. Anyway, I'm a huge fan of, of having a mailing list. I think if, if anyone listening, if you just did one thing, have a mailing list and have some kind of opt-in, some kind of lead magnet, PDF downloaded checklist, free templates, uh, a theme, a WordPress theme, something that is going to get someone to um, sign up for your list so you can stay on their in their inbox. And one way to attract people to that list in the first place would be these programmatic advertising uh, buys. That's right. And they, again, ideally you want something that's valuable and interesting that people want. And ha- and the type of person that wants that thing is also the type of person who wants to, who may want to buy your product. Yes. Yeah, General Assembly, our, our most effective ebook was um, how to get a job in a startup. And we taught coding and data science and UX design. What was interesting is that most of the people who took our programs didn't end up working for startups. They end up working for big companies. Uh, IBM would go and hire the UX people or like Quadrex would hire the, uh, the, the, the web developers. And, um, but the type of person who said, hey, I want to work in a startup is the same type of person that ends up wanting to take a three-month coding course and end up working for a big company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, 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 it worked really, really well. And that became one of our evergreen um, acquisition tar- targets. Mm, that's a great example. So if folks want to find out more about you and maybe up their marketing game, uh, check out your book, where should they go to find out more? marketingbs.com or or they can go to marketingbs.substack.com I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I run both of them simultaneously um, yeah and, I, and as you said I have a, a newsletter I started putting out uh, well, a year and a half ago um, that uh, started off as just like an essay every week where it's we call out the uh, I call it the BS that's happening in, in the news like the, the, the misinterpretation by the mainstream media of something um, and uh, about like a few months ago I expanded that essay to now I have um, on Tuesday, I do a briefing of like all the things that I think were important in the previous week and kind of my take on them. Um, And then I do a two-part podcast on Wednesdays and Thursdays with a CMO talking about on Wednesdays, talking about their career. And then Thursdays talking about um, one of their specific businesses and how they, how they grew it. Oftentimes talking about these unique channels and different channels that they use to to grow the business. Mm, Uh, And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so the list is free. You can, every Friday I send one of those four pieces of content. uh, And uh, you can always go through the whole back catalog. And then um, uh, if if you're a paying member, which is on discount until Friday, but I I imagine this podcast is going to come out after that. Oh no, Um, I get these out fast. Oh, there you go. So the, the, they may have time. So by, by Friday, it's on at half price. Um, and um, But then after that, yeah, you subscribe and you get the piece of content, both all all four pieces of content and you get them a little more timely. Cool. That's, that's my price discrimination method. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting model. I'm seeing more people doing that. And it's, you know, for someone like me who writes so many emails, it's, it's very tempting. Um, cool. This has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm sure people who are you know, thinking about, you know, how to market their service business um, more effectively, actually try and market it at all instead of just being working in the business and being a technician all the time. I'm sure that, you know, this, hopefully this is going to open up a whole new world to those folks. 
and you know you've given some really specific advice about how they could get started going from you know from zero to one like just do something you know if you're going to do something then you can follow the instructions from this show sounds great thanks for having me yeah thanks for being here all right folks that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and this is ditching hourly bye hey jonathan again The next time someone asks you for your hourly rate, I want you to stop what you're doing and go over to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free value pricing email course. That URL again is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.